Yesterday marked 81 years since the bombing of Pearl Harbor. It has been nearly 60 years since President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. 21 years have passed since the attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. In any lifetime, there are pivotal events that change the landscape for everyone and remembered even by those not yet born. Charlottesville Community Engagement is produced with this in mind, always aware of the complexities that come in a civilization made up of both systems and individuals. I'm Sean Tubbs, grateful you are here to read or listen to this and all of the other installments of the program. On this program, Albemarle and Charlottesville have reached an amended agreement on parking for the future Joint General District Court. More from new Charlottesville Police Chief Michael Kotchis from a press conference. A quick preview of today's meeting of the University of Virginia's Board of Visitors. A 60-unit development next to a Locust Grove church has moved one step closer to a final vote by Charlottesville City Council. In today's first shout-out, one person who is both a Patreon and Substack subscriber wants you to know that Albemarle County's Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion is having another quarterly community read and dinner tonight at the Yancey School Community Center in Esmont at 7625 Porters Road. This time around, the book is Esmont, Virginia by Andy Cumbo Floyd. Copies of this history book can be picked up at the two county office buildings and at little free libraries at county parks. The event features a panel discussion and the opportunity to discuss, dine, and hear directly from active community leaders in Esmont. Learn more at engage.albemarle.org. When the new Joint General District Courthouse to serve both Albemarle and Charlottesville opens in a few years, county residents will be able to use either a surface lot on Market Street or the Market Street parking garage. That's according to an amendment to a 2018 agreement that's before both City Council and the Board of Supervisors. Here is Charlottesville Deputy City Manager Sam Sanders. The city and the county entered, entered into an agreement to build and keep the GDC downtown. That agreement compelled the city to provide 100 spaces, and the original document stated that this would happen in a new parking garage to be built on city-owned land on Market Street, as well as a surface lot owned at the time by both localities. Council later decided not to proceed with that garage, which triggered the backup clause for providing those same spaces in the Market Street parking garage. Staff assessment proved that would be problematic, and deliberations began for looking to identify an alternative. That alternative is to use the city-owned surface lot at 701 East Market for county courts parking, as well as a smaller number of spaces in the garage. The city paid $2.85 million for the property next door in January in 2017, which still to this day contains two businesses. Here's Chris Engel, the city's director of economic development. The county gets full access to 63 spaces at 701 East Market Street, uh, five days a week during court hours uh, for use for staff and court visitors uh, for court business. And they will handle um, any enforcement. Um, we will maintain the basic parking lot. Sanders said council will make future discussions on that property. This amendment does fix up the immediate future of parking. 
Albemarle will also be able to use up to 27 spaces in the parking garage via the existing validation system. Council will hold a second reading later this month. Here is City Councilor Michael Payne. I think this is a tremendous victory for the city to not spend 10 to $15 million on a parking garage. We're not raising a minority-owned business. The city also forgoes property taxes on this 0.4-acre property, which has a 2022 property assessment of nearly $2.2 million. The city does get $4,664 a month from the Lucky 7 and $6,579.30 a month from the Guadalajara. There are still six weeks until Michael Kachis becomes the chief of police in Charlottesville, but the Warrington top cop appeared at a press conference on Tuesday to answer questions from local media. He addressed several issues head-on, including a climate of suspicion against law enforcement in Charlottesville. You know, obviously there, there is a volatile um, uh, uh, environment, but I don't think that's unique to Charlottesville. Uh, I think in general within our profession, you're you're seeing a transition, right? Um, we talk a lot. I talked about this during the forum about what does the 22nd policing report look like? And that may sound simple, but it but that answer, I believe, is pretty complex. And I think communities, whether it be Charlottesville, Alexandria or any other uh, jurisdiction in this in this in this country is going to have to really figure out. And um, our leaders within our police organizations are going to need to do that. Alexia Williams of CBS 19 News asked about the lawsuit from former Charlottesville police chief Rochelle Brackney, who was alleging racism and sexism in her legal case against the city. Kachis said he met Brackney when she was in attendance at the November 28th Police Civilian Oversight Board Forum, but otherwise has not talked to her. I'm not going to pass judgment on her or, or any of that, to be completely honest with you. Um, I, I will say the accusation of racism within not only a police department, but any government entity or any position of trust um, should be taken very serious. But the, I will tell you that the, the accusation, you know, the officer, those officers who are accused of that, if there are any that are being accused of that, I, I don't want specifics at this point. Uh, they deserve to be uh, a full invest. They deserve a full investigation. Alice Berry of the Daily Progress also asked a question. Uh, can you tell us more about your plan to address rising gun crime in Charlottesville? So there's there is a gun issue. There is a issue with with guns in the streets of Charlottesville, um, whether the data supports that or not, because the community obviously feels that way. So we need to figure out why that is, um, and who who is uh, who's who's bringing these guns into the city, and, and address them. And so um, you know, again, without having all the look, data matters as well, right? <laughs> Um, and that's understanding what the community feels like, how the community feels, and then also understand what does the data show. And then you got to put all that together and come up with a strategy to address those specific issues. For the rest, download a transcript of the full audio that I put together or take a listen to the full audio on the Charlottesville Podcasting Network. The University of Virginia's Board of Visitors is in town this week and begin committee meetings today. That includes the Buildings and Grounds Committee, which has a few items of note to look at. First, the new hotel at the Darden School of Business is to be named after Frank Sands, a 1963 graduate of Darden. Mr. Sands, who passed away in 2021, 
served as a leader in his field and his community, and spent countless hours offering counsel and guidance as a member of the Darden School Foundation Board of Trustees. Sands made a $68 million donation to Darden in the name of his late wife, the largest single donation in school history. The hotel will be run by Clinton Hotels and Restaurants. The hotel itself is to be marketed as the Forum Hotel. Given that a forum is a place that facilitates the exchange of ideas and the discussion of important public issues, the proposed marketing name aligns with the university's commitment to free expression and inquiry and open discussion. The hotel got under construction in the spring of 2021 and is expected to be completed next spring. The Buildings and Grounds Committee will also see the schematic design for a $75 million Olympic Sports Center intended to support 27 varsity sports. Here's a section from the staff report. The Olympic Sports Center program includes training and performance areas, locker rooms, sports medicine, hydrotherapy pool areas, work environments for staff and coaches, conference and meeting rooms, sports nutrition, and building support spaces comprising a total square footage of approximately 100,000 gross square feet. Committee members will also see a schematic design for the new Karsh Institute of Democracy in the Ivy Road Corridor. Visit the Board of Visitors website for more information on this week's meeting and stay tuned to Charlottesville Community Engagement. You are listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. Want to learn how to help our unhoused neighbors find affordable permanent housing? Livable Seaville is hosting a webinar, Homelessness in Charlottesville, From Stigma to Solutions, on Wednesday, December 14th at 5.30 p.m. Learn from experts from the Haven and the Blue Ridge Area Coalition for the Homeless about housing, homelessness, and policy recommendations to address homelessness in Charlottesville. Registration information is available at livableseaville.org. A rezoning at a church in the Locust Grove neighborhood will proceed to a vote by city council, rather than going back to the planning commission for a new public hearing. Four out of five councillors were satisfied Monday with changes to the plan for the planned unit development planned for for Mount View Baptist Church. Here is Carrie Rainey, the city's urban planner. The PUD development plan proposes up to 72 dwelling units at an approximate density of 22 dwelling units per acre. Block 1 consists of the existing church, which would not be redeveloped at this time. However, the PUD calls for commercial space to be allowed in the existing building, perhaps for a daycare. Up to 12 dwelling units would be allowed in this location in the near future. 60 multifamily residential units within six structures are currently proposed within Block 2. The Planning Commission recommended denial at their meeting in September on a 4-to-1 vote with one member abstaining. They generally supported the density but had concerns that the level of affordability for the required below market units was not deep enough and that the term was not long enough. Subsequent to the public hearing, the applicant submitted a modified PUD development plan and updated proper, final proper statement. Generally, the modifications to proper one revise rent and income limits, extend the affordability period from 10 years to 20 years. The city's Office of Community Solutions would like to see that period extended to at least 30 years, as called for in the city's affordable housing plan. 
The draft inclusionary zoning requirements would set that at 99 years. Another change to the Mount View PUD was the addition of 270 linear feet of sidewalks on River Vista Avenue. Only three of five councillors were present for the public hearing in September. Council had a choice to proceed with their deliberations or send it back to the Planning Commission. City Attorney Lisa Robertson found that no new public hearing would be required if Council wanted to proceed. Council was willing to proceed. Here is City Councilor Brian Pinkston. This is a better uh, application than what was in front of the Planning Commission in terms of the affordability components. However, Pinkston had concerns about the impact on the transportation network of the northern side of Charlottesville, but not enough to cast a no vote. Pinkston is himself a resident of the Locust Grove neighborhood, as is Juan Diego Wade. We're putting in new development, two new developments on Park, Macca, and the Park Street Baptist in this, and I think all three are exceptional projects. You know, our, our road infrastructure is... It, it, I won't say it's, it doesn't meet the capacity because I, I can't say that, but there's the perception uh, of a lot of cut-throughs happening in that area and that this would, would simply drive it up. City Councilor Cena McGill said she thought the project as a whole could use more review. I would be much more comfortable with it going back to the Planning Commission with the various proffers to make sure that that is what they felt um, and that they have a chance to sign off on that. City Councilor Michael Payne said he was concerned that developers appear to be getting the density they would be getting under the future land use map in the comprehensive plan, but are not getting held to the affordability requirements that will be a part of the future zoning ordinance. We're much closer here. I'm concerned that the length of affordability is dramatically different from what would be required in our inclusionary zoning ordinance. Pinkston said he would prefer to proceed toward council approval. The reason they rejected the proposal wasn't because of, like, they hated the project. They, they liked the project. They didn't, they weren't satisfied that the affordability components, uh, mostly the affordability pieces, were really fleshed out. Wade agreed with Pinkston. Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook was torn. He was also not present at the September Planning Commission meeting, but watched it while visiting family members who recently had a child. He said on one hand, sending it back to the Planning Commission would be good practice. McGill repeated several times during the meeting that the Planning Commission had voted unanimously to recommend denial. However, the vote was four to one, with one member absent and one member abstaining. The staff report for council did not list a vote count. I also have some further concerns about this being a PUD um, and where, you know, if this is, I there's... There's concerns here about whether or not it's really fulfilling what a PUD is really supposed to be or if it's just a way around zoning. McGill said she would be a no vote but might be persuaded to vote yes if it went back to the Planning Commission. Kelsey Schlein with Shimp Engineering represented the applicant. She said the project should not have to wait until the city's future land use rules are completed and that the application had been changed to reflect commissioner feedback. This project really just got caught in the change of things, where the we had the public hearing for the Planning Commission on September 13th, and the draft inclusionary zoning analysis was released 
um, a week or a week and a half before after the advertisement had already gone out. Snook asked City Attorney Lisa Robertson if the developer would consider another change before the second reading is held to reflect some of what Councillor Payne was looking for. If the affordability period was increased to 30 or to 99 years, uh, could that change be made at the second reading? Robertson said if changes are made and Council wants to proceed toward a vote, there will need to be a new document created. The agenda materials for the next council meeting should include an updated cover sheet prepared by the developer showing not only the proper changes that were presented to you tonight, but adding an item showing any further changes made between tonight and um, the next reading. Schlein's boss, civil engineer Justin Shimp, said the reason they did not ask for a deferral at the September 13th meeting is that they felt comfortable they understood the Planning Commission's objections and subsequently made the changes. I think they had spent two and a half hours talking about it and felt like they had vetted it very thoroughly. The item will come back for a second reading at Council's next meeting on December 21st. Snook said he was hopeful there would be additional changes related to affordability. You are at the end of another episode of this program. And first of all, Tuesday's edition was number 467, not 466. 466 was on Monday. This should not really matter to anyone, as this number is really an internal aspect of producing a regular newsletter and podcast. But an error always warrants a correction. This edition was intended to come out late afternoon yesterday, but 468 launches in the morning. Let's see what that does for traffic. There are hundreds of you reading or listening to this work, and a good deal of you are paying. Thank you. You're helping pay for the continuing production of articles intended to inform you about what's happening. In the future, you'll be paying for Town Crier Productions to hire more people to do the work. We're not quite there yet. How to pay? The most efficient way is through Substack, where you can pay $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year. That last category comes with shoutouts, like the one for the community read that you heard at the top of the program. If you go this route, Ting will match your initial payment. And if you want to join them, please do. The internet company sponsors the work here, and that's great. And even if you don't want to subscribe, Ting is still there for your high-speed internet needs. If you sign up at a link in the newsletter and enter the promo code COMMUNITY, you'll get free installation, a second month for free, and a $75 gift card to the downtown mall. Thank you, Ting. Also, thanks today to Jen Finazzo, Free Luck, and Michael Kilpatrick for their audio contributions. More tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Please share the work and goodbye. Goodbye.